this morning, Lord, we come to you. We come to the altar. Forgiveness is found. No other name than Jesus Christ. We might be saved and set free. Even to the rebellious nation of Israel, you say in Romans that you hold up your hands to them all day long. You desire for us to come to you. You long for us to crawl up in your lap, confess our sins, and be made whole. We just want to take advantage of that this morning as your people here. Lord, would you be gracious to us? Speak to our hearts, we ask in your name. Amen. So a couple of housekeeping things as we get started this morning. We are finishing Galatians today. Um, And whenever you wrap up a book of the Bible you've been studying for a long time in church, it almost feels like saying goodbye to to a good friend. Like they come to visit and stay for a while, and then they're going home. It's it's a strange thing. So um, before we before we get to the text this morning, I wanted to make you guys aware of a couple of things. Uh, CJ and Chloe Reese have been faithfully for the last I don't know six months to a year uh, doing our coffee setup every month, and um, that we we were just giving them a break. They need a break, and they're taking they're stepping back for a season just to rest with their family. Um, and so would love to find three couples or families or individuals say, I would love to take on coffee, uh, come in a little early, like 845 to set up the coffee table and get everything ready. We're to have a great rotation of people providing snacks. And so uh, if you're at all interested in that, would you use the connect card and on the back, just put, I'm interested in helping with coffee and just drop it in the kiosk. Um, also in some of the seats and on the table back here are some uh, business cards that uh, we have printed up for the move. And so closer to time, probably in, in January, we'll begin to, you know, push those on you, send home like piles, wheelbarrow loads full of those cards for you to, to pass out to people. You don't even know that Emmaus Road exists. It's like, I didn't know they existed, but they're moving, right? But but use those, please, as invites. It seems to me, in my experience, being part of church all my life, that when churches do something different, when they shift to a new series or they move locations, it just seems to be a natural time for people to invite people. And for some reason, people are more apt to come in those moments. And I don't totally understand that, but that's the way it works. So uh, take those. There's some more on the tables back here uh, for you as well. Um, As we think about what's ahead of us finishing Galatians, I wanted to kind of give you a preview of 2020, where we're headed. So the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the Advent Conspiracy here at Emmaus Road. And what that really amounts to is uh, talking about Christmas, but from the perspective of uh, really worshiping fully at Christmas time, taking advantage of the opportunity of Christmas to really worship fully, and also to spend less and give more to give generously. Uh, we, we just, we, even in the church in America, we get so caught up and whipped up into the frenzy of consumerism at Christmas and Black Friday kind of kicks all that off and, and I just would love for us to take a deep breath and go, what is Christmas all about? And let's just stop and focus on that. And so we're going to do that together for two weeks as we head into the new year. In, in January, we'll start a series in James, in the book of James, called Faith Works. Uh, if you've got faith, it's going to work itself out in your life. And that's, that's James's whole point of his letter. Uh, we'll move into a series after that 
called Unseen. We're going to talk for four or five weeks on angels and demons and the reality of the unseen realm. We'll uh, spend some time in the book of Jude, which is a one-chapter book at the end of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. And then uh, probably by late spring, beginning of summer, we'll start the book of Daniel, uh, which is going to be really fun. Daniel is a character, he, he and the three young men that go with him into captivity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, are, are just examples of what it means to go against the flow of culture. Right? Everything's moving in a direction, and they stand for God in his ways, and, and so that's going to be a great series as well. So that's, that's where we're headed in 2020, and as we look back this morning at the series in Galatians, I wanted to just recap Galatians for us this morning. We started in chapter one with the pure gospel. Because if it's not pure, it's not the gospel. You take out some of the essential pieces, you lose the gospel. You start adding other things in that don't belong there, you lose the gospel. So it has to be pure to be the gospel. And then we move to the idea that our motives have to be pure as well when we come to Christ. uh, Because you cannot serve man and God. You, you, You can't have it both ways. So we're either submitted to God or we're serving man. And then the idea of a testimony, the objective truth of God changing our objective reality as he comes into our lives and comes into our hearts. And then that testimony has an impact. We talked about letting the change that Jesus brings into our lives touch the lives of other people around us as we impact them for the kingdom. We had a sermon on believe uh, because what we begin in faith must be continued in faith. The Christian life is lived by faith. We talked about covenant, which is the act of faith in response to the gospel, opening up this relationship with God. He calls a covenant relationship. Uh, Wayne preached on purpose, that God's law leads us to the foot of the cross, that the purpose of his law is to bring us the knowledge of sin so that we put our faith in the Savior. Uh, We talked about being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, being brought into his family and adopted as his sons and daughters. We talked about concern. Being part of God's family means that we're going to communicate our concerns to one another in ways that honor the Lord. When we see those things in each other's lives and in our church body, we go, "That's, that's not good. That's not okay. We express concern. And then Paul gave us a picture uh, from the Old Testament of Hagar and Sarah to to make an illustration of what he's been trying to say to the Galatians for the whole book. Uh, We we had a a sermon called Free because God's solution to our bondage and sin has always been Jesus Christ setting us free from bondage. Uh, We fight. We had a sermon about fight because if you want peace, if you want to experience peace in your life, you have to make war on sin and fight against that in your flesh. Uh, then two weeks ago, we, we talked about community. Scott McAllister preached uh, that gospel-centered community means that we fight sin together. We're not isolated from one another. We, we're in community, and so you are not made to do life alone. It's an important part of the way that God made the body. And then last week we talked about the harvest, that the Christian life is not a passive experience. It's an active engagement. We reap and we sow uh, in this life and in the next. And we, and we reap in due season, not always on the timetable that we expect, but we, we, we do reap a reward if we don't give up and we continue steadfast. And so this morning we arrive at week 14 of our study in Galatians. And we wrap up with a sermon on what it means to boast. To boast. 
Now, personally, this week, I told Jen, I, I was just working on this part of the sermon, kind of the recap, and I was really overwhelmed with the amount of truth and insight that I feel like the Lord has given us, and, and, and me in particular, uh, through this series in Galatians, as I've prepared to, to teach these, uh, give these sermons, and Wayne and, and Scott as well, and I was sitting at my desk this week, just feeling really humbled by, by looking back on this series and going, man, Lord, some really incredible insights here that you have given us in your word, and I'm just so grateful. And I realized that in that moment, I could have done something very different. Could have done something totally different. I, I could have patted myself on the back and puffed up my ego and felt immense pride at what had transpired. Man, I am such a good, fill in the blank, pastor, preacher, orator, none of which are true, right? None of which are true. But I could have just let that go to my head. I could have got on social media and found some way to humble brag about our Galatians series, right? Yeah, those of you who know exactly what I'm talking about, I never do that. Um, I could have allowed my heart to become boastful about this accomplishment in, in that moment and, and in the process undone 14 weeks of study and listening to the Lord and, and what was accomplished here over 14 weeks, both Scott and Wayne as well. And I can't say I'm 100% free from boasting. I can't say that. But I can say that when I'm in my right mind, especially about our church or anything to do with the kingdom or my personal walk with Jesus, I, when, I'm, when I'm thinking rightly, when I'm in the spirit, what I want more than anything is to give glory to God. I want to give him glory and I don't want to take any of that from him. I, I want to boast about Jesus and his power and his might and not mine because mine, I'm just, it's pitiful by comparison. It's so weak and puny compared to God's power. We, we're so prone to boast. Two young men having a conversation, and the first one said, my farm, my, my dad has a farm so big in Connecticut. It's so big that when he goes to the barn on Monday to milk the cows, he kisses us all goodbye, and he doesn't get back till the following Saturday. That's big. Why does it take so long, the other man asked. He says, because the barn's so far away from the house. So that sounds like a pretty big farm, but compared to my father's farm in Pennsylvania, your father's farm ain't no bigger than a city lot. So the first guy said, well, how big is your father's farm? This is so big that my father sends young married couples out to the barn to milk the cows, and the milk gets brought back by their grandchildren. <laughs> Tall tales, exaggerations, puffed up with pride, this idea of boasting boasting. We're so prone to this. It's just part of our fallen DNA. We like to boast. It's common to human experience regardless of geography, ethnicity, gender, or culture. There's nowhere on the planet that you can go that you won't find people boasting about something. It's just part of who we are. So what is boasting? What is boasting? To speak with exaggeration or excessive pride, especially about oneself. To speak with pride. Boasting is commonly defined as talking in a self-admiring way or glorifying one's self. 
It's often thought of as excessive pride. We tend to think of people who boast as arrogant or self-absorbed or preoccupied or or, or sometimes uh, insecure, which may be the reason why they feel the need to boast so much. That can be a motive, right? And so um, we, we just think through, like, well, why do we boast? Why do we boast? Well, we're seeking to be identified with something either in ourselves or about ourselves that we esteem highly. We want people to see this thing that we've accomplished or that we are or that we do that would elevate us in their sight and make much of ourselves. Or, or, or we're seeking to be identified with something outside ourselves that we esteem highly. And so we wear our Seahawks gear. I want to I identify with them because they're having a great season. They're a great team. The Sounders, or for me, until yesterday afternoon, it was the Georgia Bulldogs. <laughs> I still love my team, and I'm, I'm just happy that they didn't lose to Alabama. That's all I'm going to say about that. But number four in the nation until yesterday. I don't know what they're ranked today, but for many of us, no, for most of us, we boast in temporal things, things that are here and now, things of the world which are passing away and have no staying power at all. Those are the things we boast in. And, and so let's just say Seahawks go to the Super Bowl this year and they win well, we're going to boast in that. And, and let's just say that they win every year from here uh, until Russell Wilson retires at 85 years old. Fast forward 100 years, 200 years. Will anybody be boasting about the Seattle Seahawks? No. No. Probably not. We're so focused on the here and the now, the temporal, and our boasting. And Paul wants to shake us out of that. So let's take this concept of boasting. Let's look at Paul's close to the letter of the Galatians here in uh, chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. He says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even if those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's go back to verse 11. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, you will find Paul's conversion. From a Pharisee, a zealous Jew, persecuting Christians, throwing them into prison, beating them, killing them. To becoming a follower of Jesus. In fact, I'll just read you an excerpt from Acts chapter 9. Uh, Paul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, which is what Christianity was called, the way. That he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Now he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. And I'll skip down to verse 17. It says, so Ananias, whom God had spoken to, said, you need to go to Saul. You need to take the gospel to this man and and, and tell him about me. Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened that's important when you tie in revelation chapter one and let me just read you a couple of verses out of revelation one because you need to understand what happened to paul you need to understand what paul saw and john has a vision that would that would clue us into some of the things that paul saw in that moment in revelation 1 verse 12 john writes i turned to see this voice that was speaking to me and when i turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the golden lampstands was one like the son of man that's a reference to daniel chapter 7 and that that personage that that son of man was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and the hair of his head was white and white like wool white like snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet like burnished bronze refined in the furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held the seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword his face here it is his face was like the sun shining at full strength how many of you guys remember the eclipse just just not long ago what is the continual admonition from everybody on the tv do not what don't look at it put on a welding helmet use the glasses use the, the the special like do do the thing where you watch it from behind you know with the shadow on the do all those things but don't look at the eclipse why You'll shoot your eye out. You're going to ruin your sight. You're going to ruin your sight. It's it's just a well-known fact. Well, what did John say? He said, gosh, Jesus was like holding seven stars in his hand, and out of his mouth came a two-edged sword, and his face was like the what? The sun at noonday. When we're not talking about an eclipse and you're getting a little corona, you're seeing that as, the, the, as it moves out from in front. We're talking about the full strength of the sun at midday and just going, I'm going to stare at it. You're, you're going to go blind fast. Right? So, so Paul's writing here, uh, he's alluding to his eyesight. And I think many commentators speculate as to the nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh. I personally think that the loss of his eyesight was the issue above all other conjectures. And he even alludes to it earlier in Galatians in chapter 4. If you'll remember in verse 15, he says, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify that you, if possible, would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. When he first came to them, 
So part of the ailment that Paul was experiencing was a loss of sight. Here in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul's signing the letter with his own hand as he tried to sign his letters as proof of his authorship, though he was using an amanusis. That's the Greek word for a secretary. Somebody who was, he, to whom he was dictating the letter because he couldn't write the whole letter himself because he couldn't really see to do it. But he would manage to sign it himself as a stamp of authenticity that it was from him. All that was just verse 11. Let's go to verse 12 and 13. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even if those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire for you to have, a circum- to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. And so this is the heart of boasting, is look at me. Look at me. Make much of me. Some people in the church then and now are saying, look at me. Look at how good I am. Look at how good Jesus is. Look how, look how moral I am. And Jesus says, I love you. Stop it. Stop it. Stop your self-righteous moralism. It doesn't exalt me at all. And some people in the church then and now are saying, look at me. Look at how much I sin and God's good grace is still upon me. Look at how much I sin. And Jesus is saying, I love you. Cut it out now. Your ongoing sin does not glorify me in any way whatsoever. We're so prone to both ends of that spectrum and boasting in something that has no, there's no reason to boast in. Look how, look how righteous I am. And, and all the rules I keep, Jesus, he's like, sit down. Be quiet. But, but look at how much I sin, Lord, so that your grace may abound. It's like, go read Romans 6. Stop it. Stop it. The motive for compromise, the motive for capitulation is the hope of avoiding hardship. Beware those who would sell you on compromise in exchange for comfort and ease. Or, 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 or encourage your boasting in the church as something that we ought to do. The Lord Jesus did not live a life of comfort or ease. And he did not boast, though he has every right to boast. He did not set an example for us in boasting. He says, they want to boast in your flesh. The world wants to boast in your debauchery or in your morality. It doesn't matter because either one of those belittles Jesus in the cross. I am so self-righteous. I'm so wicked. He's like, why don't you make much of me and the cross of Jesus Christ? Because all the boasting in the flesh is not boasting in Christ. It's boasting in ourselves. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to the Corinthian church in verse 18, he says, the word of the cross is foolishness. It's folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He says, for it's written, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the quote-unquote wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He begins to ask these rhetorical questions that men just to take away every refrain that we might give him. He says, so where is the one who's wise, supposedly? Where are the scribes? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness or the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we're preaching Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says, consider your calling, brothers. <laughs> this is like the, the best self-esteem passage in the whole Bible. He says, just think about where you were when God called you. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. You weren't movers and shakers. He says, not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. That's you and me. He chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in this world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in this world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. And because you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know what Paul's really saying? You can just sum it up with like one sentence. You guys, we're the last kid's pick for theological dodgeball. Nobody wanted to be that kid in elementary school, right? Shoot, we're going to play kickball. I know I'm going to get picked last. Right? Nobody wants to be that kid. Yet God is saying, according to the world's standards, the world's boasting, you are the last kid picked for kickball or dodgeball. But God's taking those things that the world says, that's foolish, that's weak, that's nothing. He says, yeah, I'm gonna show you my power. I'm gonna show you my grace through those things that are weak. And you'll see that your strength and your wisdom is actually nothing. It's a glorious reality. Pick it up in Galatians 6, 14. So Paul says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the, so the question is, why is boasting in Christ superior? Why is that a good thing? Well, number one, he's above all other things. He's the maker of all things. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. So anything else that you could boast in other than Jesus would be something that he's made and therefore by definition is inferior to him. So boasting in ourselves, boasting in our achievements, even in our favorite sports team is inferior to boasting in Christ. Proverbs 27 two says, let another one praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. We, we shouldn't be boasting in ourselves. We've got nothing to boast about. He goes on in verse 15, he says, neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but a new creation. And Paul's point is that those who would make such a big deal out of circumcision, in particular with the Galatian church, have no idea what's promised in the next life. They're so fixated on now. They can't see the beauty of what God's going to do when we're in his presence. He's going to make us a new creation and glorify us in his presence. Romans uh, 2, Paul writes, he says, For no one's a Jew who's merely an outwardly a Jew, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart and by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. So his praise is not from man, but from God. 
So, so this is all about what God's doing in the heart of the people who believe in him. It's all about what he's accomplishing in us. And, and then verse 16 here in Galatians 6, he says, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So specifically to those who would reject these Judaizers' legalism, their rules, and, and seek to live by God's grace, he calls them the Israel of God. Israel is, uh, this is larger than just the ethnic people group, Israel. He's talking about the meaning of the word Israel, which means governance of God or kingdom of God uh, or, or the rulers of God's kingdom. That's what Israel means, to govern God's governance. And so those who are part of the body of Christ at large, this issue, uh, by the way, the Gentiles, uh, the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's covenant family is the backdrop for like 90% of the New Testament. Most of these letters are dealing with the controversy or misunderstanding about God's right to redefine his covenant family however he wants. He can let the Gentiles in. And even though the Jews are talked about it, he's like, that's my decision. That's my decision. So let no one cause me trouble, verse 17. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So Paul bore on his body the marks of Christ. Let me just give you Paul's resume on this issue here from 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do think me foolish, accept me as a fool so that I may boast a little. Now he's going to boast. You're like, well, I thought he just said, don't boast. Hang on, hang on. What I'm, say, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool would. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast, but not according to the flesh. He says, but not, he didn't say the words, not according to the flesh, but you'll see what he's, what he's about to boast in. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For, so, for, so you bear with me, if, for, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on errors or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we're too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare boast of that. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offsprings of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Listen to the qualifications. Not graduate degrees. Not speaking engagements. Listen to what his qualifications are. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Now, if you're savvy, you're asking why? Well, wasn't Paul just boasting about something that wasn't 
Jesus. We'll go on just a little further in the text in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he'll say this. But Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. By his own admission, he sounds like a fool because he's boasting in things that nobody in their right mind would ever boast about. I have been beaten and tried to stone me to death. I've been flogged to the point of death, stoned three times, not, not drugs, right? Actual big rocks being thrown at you. You know in the Middle East the way they do that, they bury you halfway. They, they bury you to your waist so you can't run away. You're just stuck there, and then they, and they take rocks about this big, and they hurl them at you until you're dead. All of those things only serve to magnify the grace of Jesus Christ. So here's our application point. All the way back in Jeremiah 9, God was giving us clear directions about this idea of boasting. In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, clears the Lord. These are the things that we may boast in. A doctor, an engineer, and a politician were arguing as to which profession was older. Well, argued the doctor, without a physician, mankind could not have survived, so I am sure that mine is the oldest profession. No, said the engineer. Before life began, there was complete chaos, and it took an engineer to create some semblance of order for this chaos, so engineering is older. But, chirped the politician, who created the chaos? All deference to politicians aside, we continue in the rut of boasting. All the wrong things we boast about, all the wrong things. Seeking to make much of ourselves when we ought to be making much of Christ. And what we need is another great exchange. We talk about the great exchange as the thing that takes place when a person comes to Christ, when a person gives up their sin and shame and those things go to Jesus and, and, and that guilt is on Jesus in exchange for the grace and love and kindness of God in Christ Jesus that comes to us. There's an exchange. And we need that all the time. We need it weekly, daily, moment by moment. And part of that uh, coming back to the cross is another exchange that has to happen just as often our boasting in ourselves and of ourselves in exchange for boasting in Christ alone. We've got to make that exchange daily, hourly, moment by moment. There must be an ongoing exchange of this world and its thinking and its, its, its mindset versus being renewed in the spirit and conformed to the image of Christ. That, that exchange has to be ongoing, constant, daily. So we establish that boasting is speaking words of exaltation. That we would look at what someone has done or what someone has achieved and, and look at the effort and resume as to what they've accomplished and we would make much of it. We would say, that's glorious. Uh, before Jesus saves us, all of that is focused on me, right? My power, my ability, my achievement. And after the cross, all of that boasting should be 
ever focused on Jesus and his power and his abilities and his achievements, namely the cross and the provision of salvation for mankind. We should boast in those things. And boasting in the Lord is the opposite of boasting in oneself. Because instead of drawing attention to ourselves, we're drawing attention to Christ. And this boasting is calling for people to admire him as much as we admire him. We're seeking to praise his worth, not our worth. His glory, not our glory. And so as we wrap up this morning, we spend some time in prayer this morning. I I want us to think about these things. I want to just take a few minutes before we jump back into singing. Uh, Our praise, our time of praise is so important, but our time in prayer and just focus in, in, in quiet in just a few moments is so important for us to think on these things. Because for us as as redeemed sinners, every good thing and every bad thing God turns for good was obtained for us by the cross of Jesus Christ. It was was bought for us with the blood of Christ. Apart from his death, sinners get nothing but judgment and wrath. Therefore, everything that we enjoy in Christ is owing to his death on our behalf. Everything. Everything. So all of our rejoicing should be directed at him continually until you stop breathing air and step into his presence. That's the call for the Christian. Every spiritual gift, every provision of sustenance, every time you wipe your baby's bottom, every time you put food in your mouth, I hope you wash your hands between those two, every time your body functions the way it was designed to work, every time you get your paycheck and earn a living, all of it is because of Christ. All of it is because of Christ. And so we boast in him. And now we're not only the image bearers of God, we're the, 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 we're the message bearers of the one true king, his son, bringing the gospel, the good news to the world. That is worth boasting in. That's worth boasting in. I hope the Seahawks win. But Jesus is worth boasting in. Amen?